Amen? All right. We got some heavy lifting to do today. I'm so excited about where we're at. We're going to be moving and grooving and covering some stuff. It's going to be fun. I hope you guys are here to learn about the things of our Lord. God is so, so good to us. If you don't know already, we are in 2 Thessalonians. We're in verses 6 through 12. Now, if you guys don't know, in 1 and 2 Thessalonians, there's a lot of stuff about end times, the rapture, and the, and the day of the Lord, right? So some of us know some things about that, some of us don't, but we're going to learn a lot today, okay? So in, a, in our efforts to get us started, here's a few things I thought were funny about some end times stuff. Let's go ahead, right? Like this cool dude says, I can't wait to tell my children how many times I survived the end of the world. Because you hear about it all the time, right? The Lord's coming. The end of the world's coming. Yeah, he's probably right. Let's look at the next slide. <laughs> Don't worry about the world coming to an end today. It's already tomorrow in Australia. <laughs> so we're good. <laughs> How about this one? Aren't we all supposed to die next month, or did that get canceled? Right? It's always changing. So I, I didn't even realize this until I was on the Internet. So apparently in 2011, somebody predicted that that was going to be, is that right? A lot of people nodded last night. I didn't know that. So here's some tweets um, from that 2011. My husband just informed me that Judgment Day is this Saturday. That's just great. Another thing I have to fit into my schedule. <laughs> Which is just funny, right? And then here's another one. I really don't have time for the world to end this weekend, plus the weather's supposed to be horrible. I just think those are hilarious. Okay, so here's what we got to do. Our text is 2 Thessalonians, verses 6 through 12. But we're going to backtrack. we got to go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. We covered this, oh gosh, probably a couple months ago. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting at verse 13. Then we're going to go to chapter 5, verse 5, and then we're going to jump to 2 Thessalonians, okay? All right. Verse 13. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy are the ones that are writing this. But we do not want you, church, to be uninformed. No reason for that. About those who are asleep, those who have passed away. We just had a memorial service yesterday for Wade Henry. Okay? And so he's asleep. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Those who haven't put their faith in Jesus Christ. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So if you've fallen asleep and you've given your life to the Lord, you will rise up with and be with the Lord. Verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain when the rapture comes until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive will remain and who remain will be caught up together with those who were asleep in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Amen. I love it. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Those are comforting things to know. Verse 1 of chapter 5. He changes the subject. It's similar, but it's different. He says, now as to the times and the epochs, meaning the end times in that season of time. 
Brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord, that's different, that's the day of judgment. That's Christ's second coming. The rapture is not his second coming. He's not coming back here. He's meeting us in the air, okay? So, you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. For who? While they are saying peace and safety, not you, they, those who don't know Christ, while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness, okay? Now, let's go to chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians. Let's go to chapter 2. Now, Pastor Dave covered verses 1 through 5 last weekend. We're going to cover 6 through 12 this weekend. But I want to read 1 through 12 now, okay? So, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, started in verse 1. Now, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken, like, calm down. (laughs) Don't be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message, or a letter, as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. In chapter 1, verse 4, they're going through some hardship. And so some people are saying, oh, it's because you're in the, in the judgment. And he's saying, no, 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 that's not what's happening. You're just going through some hard times. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness, who we know as the Antichrist, is revealed the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Oh, that is really, really scary. Do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things? Paul was only there for three weekends, man, and he's already talking about end-time stuff with his church. We can all handle it. This is okay. Verse 6, and you know what restrains him now? What restrains the Antichrist? So that in his time, the Antichrist will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, the Holy Spirit, who now restrains, will do so until the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way. Okay. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming, the Antichrist, is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Verse 11 and 12. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. We just covered a lot, church. We're going to cover some more. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for these words that you have given us to teach us and to comfort us and to clarify things for us, that we're not to be uninformed or be caught unawares or to be deceived. Lord, for that we thank you. It's in your mighty name we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, so a little bit more work to do. Look on your screens. Let's talk about the day of the Lord. This is from Jack Hayford's Bible handbook, the Hayford Bible handbook. I love that book. The day of the Lord is a special day at the end of time when God's will and purpose for mankind and his world will be fulfilled. 
Many Bible students see the day of the Lord as a longer period of time rather than a single day, a period when Christ will reign throughout the world before he cleanses heaven and earth in preparation for the eternal state of all mankind. Amos, chapter 5, is probably the earliest occurrence in Scripture of the phrase, day of the Lord. According to Amos, that day would be a time of great darkness for for any in rebellion against God, whether Jew or Gentile. No one is exempt. If you're in rebellion against God, you will experience his judgment. The day would be a time of judgment as well as restoration. Now, I want to take some of those verses. I want to look at that Amos verse. Go into the Old Testament. After Daniel will be, is it Hosea, then Joel, and then Amos, I think is how that works. Go into the Old Testament, into the Minor Prophets, and after the book of Daniel, you'll find Hosea, then you'll find Joel, and then you'll find the book of Amos. I want us to look at just a couple of these verses. I think that'll be helpful for us. Amos chapter 5 is the one in in the very first part of that paragraph. 18, 19, and 20. Amos 5, 18, 19, and 20. When's the last time you read the book of Amos? All right, we're going to read some of it today. Just three verses. Verse 18. Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord. He's talking to God's people because they're in rebellion. For what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. As when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him, or goes home, leans his hand against the wall, and a snake bites him, will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? Wow. Go to Isaiah. Go to your left. And probably the first one you'll see, the the big uh, book would be Ezekiel, and then Jeremiah, if you're going to your left, and then Isaiah. Go to Isaiah The one that's mentioned there towards the bottom, Isaiah 13, verses 6 and 9. Isaiah 13, we're going to look at verses 6 and verses 9, in verse 9. Isaiah 13, 6 and 9. I love hearing pages turn. Thanks, you guys. Thank you, thank you. Isaiah 13, verse 6. (laughs) Whale, W-A-I-L, not the whale in the sea. Whale, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Look at verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. Wow. Okay. Now, let's talk about another thing other than the day of the Lord. Let's talk about something called eschatology. Have you guys heard the word eschatology? Okay. Here's what eschatology means. It's really simple. It's a theological term that designates the study of what will happen in the end of history, particularly the event known as the second coming of Christ. The word comes from two Greek words, eschatos, last, and logos, or logos, meaning study. Thus, its definition is the study of last things, last days, last times, however you want to say it. Eschatology reveals the end of history and how God reverses the curse that sin brought upon the world as he separates the good from the bad. The point of eschatology throughout the Bible is to provide encouragement to believers in their witness for Jesus Christ. It is not mentioned to encourage idle speculation or controversy. That happens a lot in the church, but that's not the purpose of it. The reason God grants us a view of the future is to encourage us to witness for Christ and to serve him in the presence, in the present. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. Yeah, we can get really sideways with some of this end time stuff. And people get argumentative. And that's not the purpose of it. God's given us a glimpse to encourage us to live for him and to serve him presently. 
Here's our outline for verses 6 through 12. There's a restraining that's taking place of the Antichrist in verses 6 and 7. And then that restraint is removed. And so there's a revealing of the Antichrist in verses 8, 9, and 10. And then the Lord talks about the reason he's bringing judgment in verses 11 and 12. And it's because we don't adhere to the truth of God's word and the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So let's do our first outline. So we've got three points. Here's point number one, the restraint. Let's read verses 6 and 7. Go back to 2 Thessalonians. I was still in Isaiah. 2 Thessalonians Verses 6 and 7, let's read those verses, the restraint. So Paul says, you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he'll be revealed, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So let's revisit some earlier verses in this same chapter. Go to verses 3 and 4, where it kind of gives us a picture of the Antichrist here, right? Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come, the day of the Lord, unless the apostasy comes first. And then we get introduced to this man of lawlessness. Ooh, that sounds like a bad dude. The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Not getting any better. Look at verse 4. Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Wow. Okay. What that means is this. If we think sin and lawlessness is bad now, right? You think it's bad now, it's going to get worse when he arrives. So when you think about verses like these and about end times, it can often for some people bring a sense of anxiety or fear. But we have no reason to have anxiety or fear. And on top of that, verses 6 and 7 should help to counter any and all fear. These verses, verses 6 and 7, declare not the scariness of the man of lawlessness, but the sovereignty of God. That's what verses 6 and 7 show us. Let's reread those. So we've, we just got introduced to this, the, this man of lawlessness, this son of destruction who displays himself as being God. And then verses 6 and 7 says, you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he'll be revealed. The mystery of lawlessness, yep, yep, some evil's already at work. Only he, the Holy Spirit, who now restrains him will do so until he's taken out of the way. It's like, don't get all fixated on, uh, on the Antichrist, get fixated on the God who's sovereign, who's in control of everything. That's what we need to see in verses 6 and 7. Okay, church, here's what I want you to know. <laughs> we serve a God who restrains. We serve a God who restrains. He restrains what he wants to restrain. And we serve a God who reveals. And so he reveals what he wants to reveal. We serve a God who restrains and reveals according to his good pleasure and not ours. I recognize that. I praise him for it. I don't always like it, but I, but I understand it. So let's put on our imagination caps for a little bit. Imagine, if you can, the mind of God. I, I don't know that I can imagine having the mind of a Pastor Dave. I, I can try. He's a man like me. I, I can but to try to imagine the mind of God and be like, yeah, I, I can relate to the mind of God. I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can. Probably not. His thoughts, his strategies, his 
plans, his timing. Okay? So, now imagine, let's say you, you're having coffee with the Lord and you're getting to know him. And after about an hour of getting to know him, you want to give him your input. It's like, okay, Lord, I've heard you out for an hour. But I want to give you my input on how, maybe perhaps how I would do things. And, and how I would do things maybe a little bit better or differently. <laughs> Pretty silly, isn't it? And yet that's oftentimes exactly what we do and how we live. And our prayer should be this, church. Our prayer should be, oh, Lord, help me to remember and give me strength that you restrain things in my life and reveal things in my life at just the right time. What a great takeaway for us. Okay, verse 7 showed us that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So there was the mystery of the gospel message, and that means that Christ was spoken of, but he hadn't arrived yet, so it wasn't fully revealed. So there's this mystery of lawlessness, meaning there's going to be more to be disclosed through the Antichrist, but it just hasn't fully been disclosed yet. That's all it means. Okay, so the, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Things of Christ were already at work before he actually appeared on the scene. Okay, And so, for sure, all we have to do is look around us to know that this is true, that the mystery of lawlessness is already at, at work, right? But it's going to get worse. That's what these verses tell us. When this guy shows up, it's going to get worse. And so, I wonder, do we perhaps question the Lord with all the evil around us, or do we thank him for the restraint that he's exercising? Think about that. Where it's like, yeah, it's pretty gnarly out there, but it could be worse because God, the Holy Spirit's restraining. And so oftentimes you say, Lord, why? Instead of saying, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for the restraint that you've put into place. One commentary says this, the Holy Spirit of God is the only person with sufficient power to do this restraining of the Antichrist. How does he do it? Through Christians whom he indwells and through whom he works. This is the restraining, I'm sorry, of evil in the world, right? Through Christians whom he indwells and through whom he works in society to hold back the swelling tide of lawless living. How will he, the Holy Spirit, be taken out of the way? When the church leaves the earth in the rapture, the Holy Spirit will be taken out of the way in the sense that his unique lawlessness restraining ministry through God's people will be removed. Church, we serve a purpose. We serve a purpose. Because all of us were lawless people before we came to Christ. And we're doing the best that we can to say to other people, come, see, live in the truth, and quit living a lawless life like I used to. Okay, that was our first outline point. Number two, the reveal. So we did the restrain, now we're going to do the reveal in verses 8, 9, and 10. Okay, let's read those verses. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming, that is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Wow. Okay. So in these three verses, 8, 9, and 10, we're actually introduced to three different parties, if you will. Three parties. One party is Satan, another party is God, and another party is you and I, people. Those are the three parties that are represented in these three verses. Let's look at the first party, the Antichrist. The Antichrist is the first party, and he comes with three things. 
these verses show us. Check this out. Look in verse 9. That is, the one who's coming is in accord with, here's the first with, with the activity of Satan. Here's the second with, with all power and signs and false wonders. And here's the third with, verse 10, with all deception of wickedness. Okay. It's a bad dude. That second one where it says in verse 9, with all power and signs and wonders, it says false wonders, with all power and signs and wonders. Who does that sound like in Scripture? Christ. That's exactly correct. And who else does it sound like in Scripture? His apostles. Let me show you. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 22. (laughs) Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you, proven to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. That's what, that's what the Antichrist is going to do, similar stuff. And people say, oh, there's Jesus. Hebrews 2.4 is not talking about Jesus, it's talking about the apostles. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Wow. Okay, so that's the Antichrist. Okay, that was the first people group in our three verses. The second is the people, okay? So there's the Antichrist is mentioned in verses 8, 9, and 10. The Lord's mentioned, and so is people. And there's one of two destinations for people, those who perish and those who are saved. Let's look at 9 and 10 again. That is, the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. So you have perished or saved, and in the middle is what you're going to do with truth. The truth of the gospel message of Jesus Christ determines if you're a person that's going to perish or a person that's going to be saved. It's pretty clear. So, It's interesting that we're introduced to this powerful being, the Antichrist. This powerful and deceptive and wicked individual will be problematic for some, but not for others. The determining factor is not the Antichrist, but the individual. Reread verse 10. For those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Look at verse 12 in order that they may all be judged who did not believe the truth, but they took pleasure in wickedness. We make a choice. People will make a choice based on the truth of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so what that means for us is this. Oh, church, the love of the truth is so important. We must fall in love with the truth, which is found in God's holy word to you and I. Check how powerful this is. Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Paul writes it this way. He says, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So, here's my phone. If this is, okay, I have God's truth. This will lead me, I can be saved with this truth. What do you say you have in exchange for this, sir? And you say, a lie, and you'll perish. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and make that trade. That's what, that's what we're doing. We're exchanging. We're trading truth for a lie. Because verse 12 says that we take pleasure in wickedness. That's the problem of which many of us, all of us did. We took pleasure in wickedness. And so we exchange that truth for a lie. 
God is so good to us. Now, the third party in these three verses is the Lord. So we talked about the Antichrist, we talked about people, now we're going to talk about the Lord. So in this context, verses 8, 9, and 10, we got the Antichrist, we got people that are either going to be saved or going to perish, and then we got the Antichrist competition called the Lord. They're competitors. Yeah? They're competitors. Isn't that kind of silly to think that God's in competition? Let's look at the Antichrist again. Go to verse 8. I just want, this is so amazing to me. Then that lawless one will be revealed. Go to verse 9. The one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness. Oh my goodness, we're in trouble. This lawless one. Backtrack. I want to go to the part of verse 8 that I skipped on purpose. Verse 8. Then that lawless one will be revealed. Now Now we're introduced to the Lord whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by his appearance. So we get introduced in these verses to the scary guy, and God just shows up. I'm here, and he breathes a, a breath, and it's over. He'd be like, well, oh, he ain't so bad. That bad dude ain't so bad. Like, that's how amazing, right? The writers are saying that the Antichrist is a, is a, is a bad dude. And God shows up and just breathes and problems solved. I wish I could solve a lot of my problems by just breathing. Don't we all? This lawless one, this deceiver, this one with all power and signs and false wonders, this one of wickedness is of zero concern for those who have a love for the truth. That's the takeaway for us. Zero concern. I just don't think much of, I get who he is, whatever. I don't have any concern for that. The scripture tells me I don't have to have any concern because I love God's truth, as do you. Check out what the psalmist writes in Psalm 51. He says, behold, Lord, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. The truth is everything. The truth is everything. Proverbs, Solomon writes this in the book of Proverbs, chapter 21. He says, a false witness will perish, but the man who listens to the truth will speak forever. So you see, false or lies is perishing, and you see truth is eternity. John, chapter 1, verse 14, says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. And we saw his glory Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. And later in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, he says, if you continue in my word, that's the truth, right? Then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Oh, church, I pray that we value the truth of God's word. Our third outline point is the reason. The reason that there will be righteous judgment. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. In order that they may all be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. 
Really? Really? Is the Lord really going to do that? It says in verse 11 that the Lord will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. Will the Lord really do that? The answer is yes, because Scripture says that's exactly what he will do. It starts off in verse 11 for this reason. For what reason? The thing that was mentioned in verse 10 at the very end of verse 10. It's just a continuation of verse 10. Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. They rejected truth. They suppressed truth. They fell in love with wickedness and their sin. We also see in verses 11 and 12 a couple of things. Both the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. You see both. You'll see God's sovereignty and our free will. We can choose one of two options verses 11 and 12 show us. Here's the first option. You can refuse to love truth and love wickedness, or you can refuse to love wickedness and love truth. That's your choice. It's a choice everybody gets to make. Think about it. If we refuse truth, we aren't simply refusing truth. You're also then accepting what's not true, which is called what? A lie. You can say, well, it's not a lie, it's a non-truth. Whatever names you want to give non-truths, knock yourself out. Either you're living in a truth or you're living in a lie. Okay? And God makes sure that we'll believe what is false if we reject him so that he can have righteous judgment to all those who refuse to believe the truth. One commentary says it this way. I really think it's put well. Although the thought of God permitting or even capitalizing on the performance of evil is on the surface surface disturbing, it is consistent with the absolute sovereignty of God. A sovereign God must be sovereign over evil as well as good. Otherwise, he is not really sovereign at all. So no matter what you choose, God can be sovereign in your choice. It's a little bit of a mind blower. I get it. We're moving on. Yeah, what do they say? Stick that in your pipe and smoke it? Is that how it goes? Oh, my goodness. So, in closing this section, this section that we're in, that we just finished in verse 12, started really in verse 1 of chapter 1. So, in chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, verse 1, all the way to chapter 2, verse 12, that's one section, if you will. Paul reminded his readers that the trials and persecutions that they were experiencing, you have to look at verse 4 of chapter 1. They did not indicate that they were suffering the judgments of the day of the Lord. That's what Paul's saying. You're not in the day of the Lord. All these things needed to happen first. You guys are fine. You're just going through some stuff. Don't listen to all these false people that are telling you stuff. They had not missed the rapture. Before the judgments of the day of the Lord would come, certain events must occur. And that's what this section tells us. Three things. The apostasy the removal of the restrainer, and the unveiling of the Antichrist. Those three things are, need to take place before we know that the day of the Lord is here. The apostasy, the removal of the restrainer, and the unveiling of the Antichrist. And Paul's saying that those things had not and still have not occurred. The Thessalonians were not experiencing the judgments accompanying the day of the Lord. And so he's just wrapping up that section. Okay? So, with that, I'm going to invite up the worship team. They're going to close this in song. Oh, church, I pray that you would worship the Lord with hands up and and hearts abandoned as you do so. God is so good to us. He's so good to us.
And choose truth like you've never chosen it before. Recognize how important truth is in your life. Recognize that truth saves things. And falseness, lies, destroy things. Amen? When we're done with our last worship song, if you need prayer, please see our prayer team. They would love to pray with you or for you or over you or anybody else that you need them to pray for. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are just so incredibly grateful for your mighty word. Thank you for the truth, Lord, that sets us free. Thank you, Jesus, that you are truth and that we can have life in you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.